welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I'm your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about RNG. Again, but before we do that, Buddy, why don't you show the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? It's pretty simple. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. The reason, Mango says again, is because... We were we were talking about this episode topic, and we were like, okay, listen, I actually think that we've done this before, but when have we ever done this? And listen, we're like getting up to 200 episodes, you guys, so we started like looking through, and lo and behold, episode 32 from 2016 is Praise RNGesus, though that one was apparently about Overwatch and League, we did not actually listen to the episode, uh, but... Um, yeah, it, it, feels, it feels like... Skipping through it, it feels like we focused heavily on Overwatch and LoL <laughs> as uh, as that was the games that we were playing at the time. But I think there's a, a wider kind of purview uh, to get into this. And, and actually, the, the way that we kind of launched into this idea was uh, uh, through chess and mahjong, um, which are uh, you know traditional board games, I guess is the best way to classify mm-hmm. it, um, with chess classically having like very, f- very few... Very few luck elements. I think the only real luck element is um, who goes first. Um, uh, but otherwise, right? And so, and so, here's the here's like the core conceit that you'll hear from people, right? Uh, like I heard, I was part of the chess club. I won. I was the champion of my chess club in fourth grade in Thomas Jefferson. Shout out uh, Thomas Jefferson Elementary School. But, but you know, one of the things, we were all playing video games at the time, you know, like we were playing Super Smash Brothers or whatever it was, um, you know, that was coming out and it was the N64 and the PS1 era. And I vividly remember that the advisor of our chess club was like, how can you even play those stupid video games? You know, like chess is the perfect it is the pinnacle. It is the it is the best game. There's no there's no randomness. There's no luck element. It is just you versus your opponent in this battle of wits, right? <coughs> and so the the kind of question is like, how true is that? You know, is that kind of aphorism, right? Like, and we might you know we might dismiss that sort of thing. And I do in general dismiss that sort of thing. But kind of but kind of um, of why? And I think that there is. There are two real camps when it comes to this version of the argument, right? One side is, well, luck elements have no business being in these kinds of competitive games, right? You cannot have a good game if the outcome of that game is determined by these chance luck factors, essentially. RNG, right? Um, Whereas the other argument is... No, you need a luck element or a random element because part of what makes these strategy games good and interesting is forcing you to make decisions where you do not have complete knowledge, right? You don't have a complete understanding of the situation and you have to make educated guesses and those educated guesses become essentially the margins in which the best players compete and the worst players fail right bad players will make those bad guesses and lose good players will make those good guesses and win and that will kind of like bear out over time 
And so I guess that is that's that's the framework that I always think of it when I think of like strategy games uh, in terms of like RNG and everything. And I have to admit that like I very much am in that second camp. I think that that second camp is is true as as someone who loves these you know like paradox games or you know Total War Warhammer or even games like you know hearthstone which you could argue are strategy games i feel like that that rng element is necessary because otherwise it's too easy to kind of make it complete does that make sense so i i I see what you're saying and but i i I think i disagree on a couple of different vectors i think the first one off the top is is uh um, kind of like the this the breadth of the question like is it a good game right like I think that randomness makes the Paradox games, like, interesting and in that way good, right? But if I were to, like, talk about it as a competitive, like, game, like, something that, like, you want to, like, play as a – as something akin to – it's like an eSport, I guess is the right way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, then I think randomness is kind of anathema. But, like, that's not what – like, I'm not going to CK2 to, you know – wreck house on people i'm going to ck2 to experience this weird kind of medieval simulator-ish thing sure. um uh, the other part of this that i that i think i'm going to disagree with you on is um i don't first of all i don't know if it's always true i think you can have like open information still have the game be compelling because there's still mind games but i, I think that's kind of the the, the rub there is that like Information being hidden, even if it's just as simple as what your opponent's thinking, is not necessarily equated to RNG, right? Like, um, you know, like, uh, I, I keep thinking of things like, you know, like master tactician type battle plans, right? Where, like, people outsmart each other and it's based on, you know, hidden information. Um, but, you know, whether, like, like those, those, you can theoretically still not have luck affected um, you can, right? Like, you know, like, you know, historically, the Mongols, I think, tried to invade Japan, and they were driven back by, uh, by soon, uh, not tsunamis, uh, typhoons. Um, and, like, that's an act of luck, but, like, I feel like if you were playing a video game and that happened, you'd be like, what the fuck, this is bullshit. I've got such bad luck, I got hit two, like, two typhoons in a row. I should have won that, right? And I, I think... Yeah, this, yeah. I, I think what this kind of comes down to is I think that there's a... A kind of a rule with competitive games, although this is, I mean, with the with the rise of battle royales, you can say that the, you can see that this is clearly not as true for audiences. But like when you're building a competitive game, you want to guarantee that the better player always wins, and random and like true RNG will make that sometimes not the case. And uh, that's uh, and that like from a from evaluating a game on a purely competitive axis. Um, that makes it works worse. So, so sense. here's the, here, I think I think you're making a mistake, and the mistake is that there is such thing as good and bad like RNG mechanics. Because I would agree with you, right? That if a typhoon, you know, like wipes out your whole army and you lose the game, right? Like that would be a bad competitive game. To, to, just to kind of like you know prove the point really like quickly, a game where you and I flip coins. Until one of us flips heads and the person who flips heads wins, that's obviously like not a competitive strategy game, right? You know, even though even though it has that like RNG element, so I definitely agree that like it's not just that you have to have 
RNG. You have to have some randomness. You, it is that it also has to be good, if that makes sense. And th- and I would agree that any kind of randomness that is just like you immediately lose the game because of it is probably not so like not so great. What you want to create is randomness where you know people like where the players are are having to kind of roll the dice to see how you know, to see how they they can proceed and the different sort of, like, lines and evaluating between, well, if I try this, I'm going to do well. If I try that, I'm going to do better or something like that, right? Like, in terms of, <coughs> you know, in terms of, like, a strategy game, it might be something like the, you know, which of these enemy AI factions is going to go to war with me first and how should I tailor my defenses around them, right? Or, you know, like, in a, in a Hearthstone game, this might be, does he have, you know, an AoE clear? Does he have a brawl in his hand or not? Do I play around brawl or not? The person who is thinking on those kinds of terms and dealing with the incomplete information on on the table is going to be the better player than the person who disregards that information, if that makes sense. And I think sure, that sure that but whether like or not the, he has a brawl in his hand is like in the snapshot of that moment, whether or not he has a brawl in his hand is not random chance, right? Like like yes, like like yes, whether or not that card he drew into that card has some element of randomness to it. Um but that's kind of like a I like you you, you seem to be uh, I don't know if confusing is the right word, but like conflating maybe is a better word for it. Like hidden information and truly random elements. So, so, uh, so the hidden information is the core thing. It's just that randomness is typically how we get there, right? You random stuff happens and it happens behind a veil, and that's the incomplete information. Hypothetically speaking, you could have incomplete information, but not have randomness like so for instance um starcraft 2 would be an example of this i think i don't think there's rng in that game like all of the damage is set damage is right but there's fog of war and so the fog of war creates information like that incomplete information and you have to kind of roll well is he making roach is he massing roaches or is he you know gonna zerg zergling rush me or something kind of like that that's the randomness at play even though there is no you know rng associated with that do you know what i mean yeah yeah no I, I, absolutely and, and in, in hearthstone i think there is randomness just because oh, yeah. obviously you're shuffling the deck and you're yeah. drawing the cards yeah uh, yeah like you know but uh but that is in, in a certain sense rng is kind of a type of this information incompleteness and it's kind of the most pervasive type of it i guess i would say yeah, no, I, I I think I'd agree with you. Um, uh, just to kind of play devil's advocate for the, uh, I guess, the chess master argument, right? Um, I think that there is there is there is a legitimate point in that when you distill out all of kind of the randomness, it is just kind of mind against mind in kind of its purest sense, right? Like because mm-hmm. chess is so mechanically simple not that like not that it's a simple game but like that like it's all it's it's known it can be reasoned about right like it's 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 reasonable about it's, it can be reasoned about enough that you can build a computer that can beat people right like almost all the time um uh and that's because it's 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 a fairly complete game and it's a fairly solvable game um mm. 
um, at that point, it's <coughs> all kind of mind games about what you think your opponent's going to do, what they see. Um, it has some weird artifacts in it, right? Like the this is kind of like the you know uh, like the novice beats the master because he acts fairly unpredictably type of deal. Um, uh, uh, but it's I I I think that there is a point there that that is a. See, see, I, I, I think we're going to come back again to like what what is goodness, right? And I think that like there, if you want a purely competitive experience, then you can't beat a game where nothing is uh, left to chance, right? Like you can ha- you can have like you know you can have hidden information, right? Like StarCraft Two thrived as a uh, as a competitive game because um, I, I think because because of that lack of of true randomness it's it you know is is all kind of like you can be guaranteed you can be near guaranteed that the better player will win the game and i think that i think that funnily enough that makes for bad uh bad uh games in some ways right like if you if you want your game to be to have some mass appeal and to also be entertaining to watch there has to be like a good chance that an under like that an underdog can uh, win. like upset potential yeah. yeah right and and that is like that is actually kind of antithetical to competition right like in a perfectly competitive world the be- the the better person will always will always triumph mm. um and so i i i think i think maybe that's like a a, a more uh <laughs> i don't know <coughs> evaluation forward version of the argument which is that not that it's that rng is good because it it allows for a wider variety of outcomes even if that's at the cost of competitiveness right does that make sense man see i think that there's like a there's kind of a truism in your kind of devil's advocate argument that i think i want to sort of deconstruct for a second which is this idea that like randomness will always lead to you know at some point the the worst player wins if that makes sense right like sure you know and i don't think that that's true because kind of because of how we define and talk about like the better player the worst player right like as long as your rng is like well known enough that the players can truly grapple with it i think that there's a pretty good argument to be made that a player can't be upset in that way by the appearance of RNG. I mean, th- th- that's, Does that that's, make sense? No, that's like mathematically untrue. Like if it, it, it like I, I get what you're saying, but like and the like I think you've got a fairly strong point that like I like you know kind of more macro levels, right? Like you can create a game with RNG elements where uh, a master will always beat a novice, regardless of how much RNG gets put into, you know, like how much RNG goes against the master. But I think what you what what, what this kind of approaches are these kind of like top end competitions where people are very close to each other, um, and that RNG is what's going to make the difference. Um, and I think that's kind of definitionally got to be true, right? Like if if two people are, you know, firing shots at each other and those shots do random damage or do random damage and one person's slightly behind, but their bullets, you know, crit, it, the crit twice in a row, 
right? This, uh, you know, not not to go back to you see. Know, I think that that's that the episode, coin flipping but... game. I think that's bad RNG. Do you know what I mean? But I think a, I think like a good player will compensate for the RNG, and it is essentially RNG is a mechanic that that the good player grapples with better than the bad player, and therefore there isn't real. You can have a situation where here's a game. It has RNG in it, but it is also built such that masters will always defeat the the better player will always win because uh, the better because players can manipulate that mechanic. Does that make sense? Uh, so I I think what you're missing is that like is that <coughs> what your what your idea is premised on is that you will account for that RNG right, and that right. the master by accounting for that all RNG will always beat the novice. That's not true, right? Like you know. Let's for round numbers, right? Like accounting for the RNG means means pretty much assuming that you get the worst outcome, or like you know getting the worst outcome at whatever percentage of the time it's likely. If the novice doesn't do that and he happens to get the good outcome, he's going to be ahead because he played as if he had the as if he had the better outcome, and that's that that's that's literally a luck luck based win at this that point, right? And like I'm, I'm not saying that that necessarily makes the game bad, but it's kind of like heart of the cards level stuff, right? Like that, that's exactly kind of what it is. Is that you need to you need to get lucky in this situation and get the thing that so, you need. So yeah, okay, to okay. So I do think hole. I agree with you in the sense that no matter what, there will always exist a worst case scenario where RNG irrefutably kind of trumps, you know. I mean, part of it is just kind of like, you know, like, you know, if I, if I just draw the best hand every time, if I just roll sevens every time or whatever, like, right. I, 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 no matter what, if I get pocket rockets and the flip river or then the turn, the river, the flip, whatever the, the thing is, <laughs> is give, gives me a royal flush every time, it doesn't matter, right? The RNG just exists in such a way that you can't play around it, if that makes sense. Um, and I do think that that is true, but it's also a little bit like, at what point are we litigating around edge cases? And also, at what point sure. can competitive systems account for such edge cases that they that they don't matter? You know, like, if I'm, you know, like, let's grant that if I get a perfect draw in Hearthstone, I can just, like, tempo you out with my crazy fucking, like, prep rating party tempo rogue or whatever. But, like, at a, you know, on, on a certain level, when the world champion is not defined by the fifth the game 5 in a series of best of 3 right but the cumulative wins of every series up to that point right Th like that you can build a competitive structure such that the rng is completely compensated out of it does that make sense yeah so like I, I think I, I if you want to tell me that I think like that might you could, be my real answer. I'm pivoting. I'm shifting these goalposts. Yeah, sure, that, <laughs> that's fine. If, if you want to tell me that your your answer is you can build a system where you know like 95, 97, 99, you know five nines of the time, yeah, um, yeah. that you're the 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 master's going to be the, uh, the 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 better player is going to win, and we just kind of forgive those last points. Sure, I'll give you that, and that's that's that, that's a fine trade off. Yes, absolutely, I, I can. I can uh, I can agree with you that I think I think what it kind of is is a matter of of asking you know exactly what that number is right yeah yeah um and, uh, and it might yeah. also be a like a tolerance thing right like I'm sure that there are players who look at you know 
who look at Hearthstone or whatever and say like, oh, the the RNG in this is like complete bullshit, right? But they look to the LCS where there's RNG in the form of 80 carries can crit with Infinity Edge or whatever, right? And they look at that and they say, this RNG is is fine. And, and it like maybe at a certain point there is that kind of like subject you know, like, subjective nature to how the, um, you know, kind of, like, how the random number works, um, such that, like, it kind of doesn't matter. I also think, to a certain extent, there are versions where the numbers are not truly random, right? But they are functionally random because the math behind them is so arcane. For instance, I would actually kind of argue that there is... RNG in StarCraft 2 because even though all of the numbers and all of the damage and everything is like completely set it's not like you are sitting there plugging equations for each individual one of your marines shooting each individual one of his guys or whatever right and so like the interactions between those numbers are so compu like so computationally dense and complex that no person can really interface with them as like the true expression of like equations that they would be right. If my 17 Marines, three, yeah, three medics and two marauders go up against your 39 Zerglings, four roaches and nine Hydralisks. It's like those no StarCraft II player looks at that and can do the perfect math that exists. We know that this math fundamentally exists because all of the numbers are set. You know, like, all of the armor reduces the damage by percentages. All that stuff is, like, yeah, all we, that stuff if, is If set. you set them up against each other and said, like, you know, run from this point forward, you just run straight at each other, then, yeah, you 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 could calculate yeah, that out. Like, function, but but in, in the moment, that interaction is functionally random. Right. I don't know because if I call that is... random. Like I, I so so like I get what you're saying, but like I think part of what's impressive about players who can play around that is that it's kind of their intuition or their feel for what those numbers are going to be, even though they don't have them like straight down. Like like that's kind of like game knowledge and game feel. But I don't think I don't see. Think see I think that that's that the random. exact. I think that that's the exact same skill that a Hearthstone pro exacts when he says, I bet he has a brawl in his hand, so I'm not going to overcommit to the board. Do you know what I mean? It's this, that's the same skill. And it is, it is dealing with the kind of um, opaque, like the, the opacity of the numbers and making the best case and like making the best guess given the incomplete information that you have in one sense it's random in the other sense it's just too complex to be you know accurately calculated in that short of a time frame but the effect is still the same it is that like information incompleteness and the player who deals with the information incompleteness is or the deal the player who deals with that information incompleteness better is the better player now what that creates though is it creates a situation where the starcraft player says i think my marines medics or whatever are going to be able to beat these zerglings roaches and hydralisk and they are wrong right like they are incorrect and i think that that's the exact same effect as if someone had just lost to bad rng um i don't hmm. so a couple different things one I'll agree with you that's the same kind of, like, information asymmetry problem that you see with 
with uh, with Hearthstone, but like that was kind of what I was getting at when I said like when you take that snapshot, whether or not the brawl is in his hand, is is not a is not a random you know like it's 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 a thing that's true or not right like where it's a thing that has a percent an assignable percentage right like um actually i i said that backwards right like that kind of information asymmetry is the same thing but like whether or not he has it is rng and that's a separate thing from the thing you're talking about i think you're confusing okay okay i actually have a better one that is truer rng there's actually like Real. So one of the one of the mechanics that I've talked about a little bit in like Hearthstone is bombs, right? There's bomb warrior who shuffles cards in your opponent's deck. That's just the thing that says you take five damage when you draw this, right? Um, let's say I'm in a situation where my opponent's at twelve health and I have a seven seven on board, and I can either trade with his minion or I can throw that seven damage towards face. And let's say that his minion will kill me otherwise, right? A good pro will know the odd, will look at the deck and they'll, they'll know how many cards are in the opponent's deck and how many bombs he's shuffled in there, right? And he will make the correct play between saying, I need to kill this minion and save myself versus I just need to hit the face and he's probably going to draw that bomb and lose the game. Do you know what I mean? That is an instance where it's like, it is it is true randomness because he doesn't know the shuff- like where the shuffled position is, right? Um, does that make sense? Yeah, I don't think that that's directly analogous to the player who misjudges his 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 army composition defeating another army. Um, well, see, I think it's the same. I think it's like the same kind of like you're you're essentially making a probabilistic call. You're saying probably I win the you know he has four cards in his deck, three of them are bombs. Probably I win the game, right? My you know, I've done this encounter in practice mode enough times to know that this mass of, you know, Marine Medic Marauder will probably beat those, you know, that mid-game army of Zerg 75% of the time. So I'm going to take the, you know, like, I'm going to take the, the so, battle, so, right? So, so the, the, the fundamental difference there is one of those, you're just wrong, and the other one is you got unlucky. Right, like there, there, you know, like you said, there's an answer, and I, I think that's a meaningful enough difference to make. A See, I don't think that that difference is meaningful. I think that that difference is like theoretic. Like I, I understand why people would want to say that that difference is meaningful because you could then tell the person, well, you know, he should have known his army better or kind of or whatever, right? But at the end of the day, I just think that like that's an impossible kind of like ask of a person, and. He knew his army well, like he knew his army well enough, and he made the appropriate play given the probability. And he just happened to, you know, so so come up it's, short. You're you're. I think you're applying this in the wrong direction, right? Like, with in the StarCraft Two example, right? Like you can go back. You like that's a skill to rail against. A skill that you're probably never going to completely master. Right, like same thing with like fighting games, right? Like there are execution components that like you're always going to build to. You're never going to be as good as a pitch perfect like machine um but uh but like those are like it's it's kind of like you know irl sports right like you train to be more athletic you you train to like you know get these probabilities down better um and get this kind of like knowledge like this kind of knowledge and intuition down better um the thing the way that this pushes in a negative way is against the hearthstone game right like you it comes down to it, and at the end of the day, you have to look at the person who, like, you know, 
he doesn't draw the bomb and he ends up losing off it. You have to look at him and say, well, you know, at the end of the day, you did everything right, but you lost because of luck. And I think that's the thing that bothers people. See, right? like, there's nothing that, that you could have done better. This is why I think that those two situations are analogous because that that calculation in StarCraft is so impossible that it is functionally, you know, even if it is not truly random, right? It is functionally random. I, I, so I, I, because I don't, like no one could do the math that fast. Like, but you can, even if you can't do the math that fast, you can develop a better intuition for it, right? Like, it, it, there's, a, there's a thing that you can go back and improve and try and do better next time. You can't do anything better next time in Hearthstone, right? In that particular, in this particular situation, yeah, in that particular situation, yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I do. I, I guess I sort of get that in a certain sense. Yeah, and, but and, I don't think you know, that. You, but here's the thing: I don't think that you're ever going to. I don't think that you're ever going to be. Uh, you're never going to be able to get the probability out of it. And so, at a, like at a certain point, you know, I don't know. I like, hmm. like, and, and I, I think you're you're kind of right in in a way there. But I I think the thing that you're 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 not accounting for is like you could still like, you know, let's say like Trump and uh, Idra both go home after having lost a tournament, right? Like. Uh, and there are the people. There are like kind of the standards in this situation, right? Um, Idra go like you know. Idra can go home and say, "I need to practice my clicks more. I need to get. To, I need to know this game better. That way, I can win next time." Trump can simply shrug his shoulders and say, "Well, I guess that happens sometime. Time to like cry into my pillow, like and and you know." At the end of the day, I don't think this necessarily makes one a better game than the other, right? Like I think there's some excitement that can that we that can. Uh, come from RNG like we've talked about. Um, I just think that in terms of like who like the like the the game it's the game's going to appeal to different people, right? Like yeah, it, I mean, it, I also think, like in in Hearthstone. I think we're being a little unfair to Hearthstone in the sense that like there that that is the only decision that is sure. worthy of scrutiny. Like obviously, you can go back in time and say, oh, I shouldn't on turn four, I shouldn't have, I should have tempoed out this thing instead of holding it for value or kind of like whatever else. Right. Like obviously these games are built of much larger decision trees than just these crucial decisions that we are making sure. them about. Just that, you know, I, I think just to make that mention, obviously I, I, I do agree with you in general though. Like, because in a way that is a possibility, uh, that is a possibility that exists in Hearthstone, while it is not a possibility in the abstract when it comes to like StarCraft, even if it like the same sort of thing. Like part of this like part of this I think is about like the the like the scrupulous nature of it. Um, and how you can just continue to mine the equations better right in starcraft to learn it better and you know like maybe the answer you know like i don't know it's is is it possible to hold someone accountable for that in a way right if somebody if somebody loses because they take that engagement and they and they get you know they get destroyed or or their army gets destroyed because of it 
Um, how much are they at fault of that? Depending on you know how well they know, how well they know like that that engagement should favor them. Yeah, and, and I, I, mm-hmm. I think the answer is is like you are, but like it's understandable when you fail sometimes. In the same way that like you know, like the, the, the thing I think about is like let's it, it, not say start like let's let's. Or maybe it could work for StarCraft. StarCraft has Fog of War as well. But, like, you know, in a strategy game, you get blindsided by, like, a hidden a hidden enemy, right? Like, you know, at some point, that's, like, you know, like, that's, like, probabilities with the other player's mind or whatever. And that's still a thing that you can work on trying to read. But, like, the reaction to that is, like, you got played, right? Like, you got, you, you lost the Battle of the Wits, and that is on you, Um and that's I, I I think that's the more analogous situation. Whereas in 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 kind of the the RNG situation, it's you 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 got screwed by the numbers, um, or you you benefited from the numbers, and that's yeah. And I mean, you know, it definitely is is such a thing that the you getting played happens in these other games. Um, so maybe it's just the ratio between those two things, right? Like. For every one loss to straight up RNG, you have to have enough, you know, like real, real victories to like outweigh it. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it's it's yeah. also kind of like what your personal tolerance for it is too, right? Like, um, I think Magic in a lot of ways it can be a more random game than Hearthstone, right? Because you have like the whole mana interplay that you don't have in uh in Hearthstone. Um, and oh, I like think mana flooding, mana, mana, mana starving, know, yeah. whether getting your, you know, if you're playing a multicolored deck, whether you get enough of, of either type or of any type that you're playing. Um, and like, I think part of that is why I like it better than Hearthstone because there, there's more opportunity for like, like RNG is why the silly decks I like to build can win sometimes because, you know, occasionally I get lucky. Um, and you know, it's, it, it's, it's more complicated than that, but I think that like, you know, there, like a luck factor, can make a game attractive in a lot of ways, especially to people who um, are more casual players, right? Like, um, if you don't want to dedicate all of your time to it, the ability to get a win sometimes that you don't deserve can be gratifying, right? Like, even like it, it's you know maybe you don't deserve it, quote unquote, but it can it's it's still it's still fun, right? Like, I think that you know we we talked about this a little bit when PUBG came out, but I think that's part of why PUBG can be, or, you know, like these battle Royale games are so ascendant, right? Like you can do really well based just kind of on, on, on luck factors. Um, even if you're not really good, you know, you can, you can get the, 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 the Fort Royale or whatever it's called in Fortnite. You can get, you can get the chicken dinner, even though, you know, you're probably worse than some of the people in this game. you, you managed to, you know, you managed to, to, to beat the odds, right? Like, quite literally. Um, uh, and yeah, it, the other funny thing is that, like, this intersects with that... Um, there's something we mentioned about Overwatch, because I think Jeff Kaplan talked about this, where he talked about how when you ask players, right, like, what they want their win rates to be, right? They always say they want 50-50. They want, they want their win rate to be 50-50. And um, and and when you ask players what their favorite types of matches are, it is the ve- it's the very close matches, right? It's the nail biters kind of thing. 
But if you ask players after every match that they play to rate the the quality of the match, they will rate the quality of their wins significantly higher than their losses. So it implies that, you know, like people say they want to win 50% of the time, but really they want to win all the time and are just kind of like knowingly settling for the fact that like, oh, you know, obviously I'm not allowed to win all of the time. You know know what I mean? But really they get frustrated by their losses. They get invigorated by their wins no matter what. And so the, like the competitive nature of it is a little bit less important than we would otherwise tell ourselves in kind of like, you know, what's that? The Dunning-Kruger effect and like a Dunning-Kruger effect yeah i mean i i think that like i think that if you actually won 100 percent of the time you would get bored really fast mm-hmm. like like you know you you have like a, a a weird oracle that matches you against people that will always lose because they're they're masochists or whatever um and so they don't mind losing every time and so they guarantee, guarantee you everybody you'll probably get bored of it pretty fast um yeah. uh well, actually, I don't think that that's I don't think that that's actually true. I think if every game was competitive but I won it, you know, like if every game was a nail biter but you ended up winning, right? Would that really get old fast? Do you know what I mean? So I I I think the weird question here is like put it, you can't it's hard to put yourself in that mind space cuz like Yes, that's true, but if you ever realize that that's what's happening and then you try and throw a game and it doesn't work, then it's not actually a nail-biter, right? Like, this this is, like, weird. I think the word is intuition pump problem where, like, you have to, like, bend the the laws of reality to... To, to have I mean, in a sense, way, that's but... a little bit like single-player games, right? Like, in, in you know, like, in Total War, you... You want to to win every one of your campaigns, and it is a nail biter up until you you know like uh, up until it isn't, and yeah. you you like tailor the difficulty in order to kind of like meet you there. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I I, I, I think you're right. I, I think I'm more talking about like I think you're right. I just think that there's like. It's it's impossible to measure that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because I also think that part of it is just, like, how we approach these multiplayer games versus other players and fanatists. I feel no compulsion to be fair to the AI, right? Like, when the AI surprises me with a war declaration and attacks my undefended settlements, I go, this is fucking bullshit. I don't go, ah. That AI, that tricky AI, you, right. you got me. You not, you know, like, you know what I mean? Whereas with another person, I might be, you know, I might be willing to say, you know what, you caught me with my pants down, well played kind of thing. Um, just yeah. because, like, <laughs> you know, I don't know, we have no sympathy for fucking machines. <laughs> yeah, I would say we've been playing Stellaris, and I'm thinking, like, we're going to be like the crotchety old robot racists. It's like, yeah, <laughs> no, goddamn robots get out of my video games. Right, but that, like, that's true that, to Dad. a certain extent, right? Like, in our in our big Stellaris game, like, Nick really took off with his machine intelligence empire. And if Nick had chosen, if Nick wanted to, he could have said, you know what? The future is digital. I am going to kill all humans and take over the galaxy just because he was un- completely unstoppable at that point. But I wouldn't hold that, you know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't hold that against Nick, 
for like the player like good job nick my friend for beating me you know like i'm gonna be a good sport about it or whatever but if that ever happened to me in a fucking single player game i would be like oh this bullshit machine races are too broken how the fuck could the ai you know you know what i mean like (laughs) (coughs) yeah um And that is, like, and that's a real place where I think about it because, like, you know, I do, I play a lot of these strategy games against, you know, like, AI or whatever. And, you know, you do feel good getting one up on the AI. There is definitely, this happens to me fairly frequently, actually, in in Total War because, like, there's ambush stance or whatever. And so, like, sometimes you will, like, you know, like, let's say I, I take a town. I take a really small town. Very easy. Hard to defend, right? And I have my big army there. And he has his big army in his big town with a gigantic garrison. And I know that I can't 2v1. If I could fight them each individually, I would probably win. But I can't 2v1 them, right? So what I do is I march from my village to his town. And I go into ambush stance, Right, And then he no longer sees my army and he's like, oh, look at this undefended village. And he walks to the undefended village, triggering my ambush. I stack wipe the army that triggers the ambush and then I go stack wipe the town or whatever, right? Like, that feels good. That That is the same sort of feeling that I get when I, you know, outplay someone in Hearthstone because they didn't play around my brawl or whatever the case may be, right? Um where you you make the clever tactical play and they fall for your they fall for your trap sort of thing. Um I don't know. I feel like that's 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 real. Uh and it can be expressed in a single player game, which is also weird. Um yeah, no the, the thing with AI that's it's always weird is like <laughs> especially cuz it's so obscured from the player is uh like some of this is, is is you're absolutely right. Um, is 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 that feeling? But like, at least for me, like there's always this knowledge that like you know, oh, the computer could have seen that I was there, right? Like it has access to that information. It could have like told the soldier to not wa- walk there. Um, and you know, like how much of are you like actually beating an AI, and how much are you like how much is the computer letting you win by not taking advantage of all the information, right? Like. You know, sometimes you wonder, uh, you know, is is Ooh, it not funny. working? Is, is it not walking the army there because it knows it's there, but because you're in the ambush stance, it's supposed to make you feel good. But see, you know. I see. Okay, so the interesting thing, just to deep dive in this in Total War for a second, I actually think that this is something that would never work against a human player, but is the 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 unfair thing is that it would never work against a human player. Against a human player, right? Like during the end turn stuff he watches me move my armies the human player would watch my army in the village and then watch my army go down the road and then watch my army disappear and he would naturally intuit oh he popped into ambush yes. i'm not people gonna, have I'm object gonna... permanence yes <laughs> right 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 but but here's the thing my ambush stance chance is 100 percent. let's say right so Shouldn't the compute like shouldn't the enemy player not know that that army is there? I would make the argument that the human player being able to so obviously intuit that is a failure of the design of the game to enforce its own rules. Right, the rule of the game is that I have a hundred percent ambush chance, and it should better enforce that. And so when the computer doesn't see 
you know, like, doesn't know that my army is there and marches right into it. It is better honoring the rules of the game that say that I have, you know, 100% ambush chance or whatever than, like, playing against the player, right? Another version of this, for instance, would be something like, if my ambush is successful at the end of my turn, the computer will not show that army's movements to the enemy player. And the enemy player might intuit it, right? He might say... Well, there was an army in that village a second ago, but where did it go? Did it leave? You're like, did it leave into the fog of war to some place I have no idea? You know what I mean? Or you know, is he pulling back because yeah. of some other? You know what I mean? Like any of those kinds of things. So I would make the argument that you know, I would make the argument that the AI is actually playing fairer than a person would play. Yeah, I, I think that's an argument about like what the point of uh, of a game is, right? Like I think that like. If you walk into the into a visible like something that an enemy player can see, and you walk to the woods and hit ambush, it shouldn't say one hundred percent. It should say you idiot. You walked into a forest in plain view of the enemy. Your ambush chance is negative five percent. They're going to surprise you if they try to walk up on you. <laughs> okay, that's pretty funny, but yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I get that. Yeah, like and, and you know th- that, that's more a, a question of mechanical design, right? Like your suggestion there, right? That like you know. Um, uh, having the ambush mechanic work where if if you would set up and it would be 100 percent um that it doesn't show the movement i think that's a valid way that you could develop that mechanic but that's i don't know this this is a weird thing where you're kind of in 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 this weird kind of like hypothetical mechanic situation not like I sure. Know. I mean, my point is just yeah. that you know, in terms of, I don't, I don't, I do not think that the computer is going easy on me. I think that the computer is playing fair, oh, right? See, and I that mean, I fairly, I, I am fairly taking advantage sure, sure, of sure. the computer's misplay. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel weird about this because, like, you know, like my point was kind of my initial point was kind of tongue in cheek and kind of like you know, the computer can know whatever it wants, right? But like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. But like. I would rather have an AI that acts like a person and like can make that call, but doesn't like cheat in other places, which is what these games inevitably do, right? They give bonus resources to account for the fact that they can't reason. Um, uh, because I think that that's a more authentic experience, right? Like, like, yeah, it's neat to do that sometimes, but like, it's also kind of like, I don't know. Like the thing I always think about is, is uh, like cheesing bosses in Skyrim, like, like, uh, there, like, I remember very clearly there's, like, a mage in a room, and, like, if you stand by the door and just fire arrows into the room, he, the AI can't figure out where you are, and it just keeps resetting. You're like, ha, mm-hmm. I have beaten this boss because I am very good at this game, and the answer is no, you know how to abuse the AI, um, and obviously that's an extreme end of things, but, like, I don't know, those, those victories can feel satisfying, they're also kind of bullshit, um, I don't know, I don't know, that's a, that's a hard question yeah and there's definitely like a line for it right like i've been playing a ton of this hearthstone single player adventure where you are playing against you know like the ai like the bosses um and they do do they do that thing where they compensate for the ai um so like the ai starts with more mana for instance and they get progressively harder with better decks and hero powers and stuff like that um but part of that you know like the like where what is the line between like Oh, they just need to give the AI those extra resources to compensate for the fact that it can't reason versus, right, like, 
they want the victory that you get out of this to be that much harder and more complete, right? Like you are fighting against stacked odds. Um, and so like, I, like there is a line somewhere between those two things, but it is kind of like tough to find. Yeah, and there I, will be times when like the AI will do dumb, stupid things, you know, like, so for instance, the AI will like something that routinely breaks blizzards. AI is the way, um, the way it reasons out Kel'Thuzad, which says at the end of every turn, it will resurrect all minions on your side that died. And like for a long time, there was this bug in the game where the AI would look at Kel'Thuzad and look at a taunt minion and say, well, I can't get through that. Even if like mathematically the way to do it is to just like kill the taunt minion, kill Kel'Thuzad in the same turn. Cause it just sees, oh, well, it's just going to res the taunt minion or whatever. And so like, that's an instance, they eventually fixed this, but that's an instance where, you know, obviously if you win the game by playing Kel'Thuzad and a fucking, you know, whatever it is, poisonous, s- stubborn gastropod, right? That is, that's, that's taking advantage of the AI and that's unfair or whatever. Yeah, I, I think I think some of the thing that you're talking about is is uh, asymmetry, right? Like I think that this stretches further when um, when uh, when like you're playing against an asymmetrical AI opponent, right? Like the the bosses in Hearthstone are supposed to be special and not be quite the same as a normal player. Um, uh, when you're playing uh, like many single player games, right? Like. It's not supposed to be people who are on equal footing. It's supposed to be a computer that is variously smarter and or stupider, right? Like you're playing an FPS game. The grunts are allowed to be stupid because they're they're supposed to, like, you know, they're not expected to be as good as you are. Um, uh, and I think, I like, and in those situations, I think you can, like, it, it doesn't matter as much. Where, where I think the, the, the place where this problem gets highlighted the most is when you're playing against something that's supposed to be the equivalent of another person um, that's supposed to be equal to you, and it can never be, right? It can never reason that way, um, at least in in these types of games. But you know what types of games it can do that in? Classical games like chess, because they're yeah, solved. Yeah, that's true, right? Yeah, because yeah, they're solved. Like, well, is chess solved? I don't know if it's solved, solved, but it's, like, solved enough. Yeah, that... I know that there are some games, like, checkers is solved or whatever, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, now, now I am solved. also interested. Is chess solved? Uh, no, chess is not solved because there are too many game states. Um, and it, any end game with seven pieces or less has been solved. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. Um, so, like, I know that, like, the, deep, the way that deep learning type stuff works is, like, iterative probabilistic algorithms, right? So, like, kind of like a hyper-focused version of what you were talking about with, like, uh, you know, good players. Um, um, and it works better than people a lot of the times, right? Wow, like, apparently there is a, there is a, an algorithm for, or I'm sorry, a, uh, a theorem for this called Zermelo's Theorem, it's named after Ernst, Ernst Zermelo, says that in any finite two-person game of perfect information, in which the players move alternatively, and in which chance chance does not affect the decision-making process if the game cannot end in a draw then one of the two players must have a winning strategy i.e they will be able to force a win so that's cool yeah um just can end in a draw so i guess technically <laughs> uh 
Apparently for chess, Zermelo's theorem states either white can force a win or black can force a win, or both sides can force at least a draw. Right, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think... I think basically what this is saying is that it's solvable. It's just not been solved yet. Right? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I guess I guess that that's kind of like the basis of the question is, is like, is that a good thing or not? Right? Like, I definitely think I can, I can be on your side with things like, you know, once I found out that Rubik's Cubes are like algorithmically solvable – I stopped caring about them because it's just kind of like it's a thing that you do. And if we oh, were ever, yeah, yeah. and if we were to ever like have enough computational power to like definitively solve chess, right? At some point, it's like, well, the game's not worth playing anymore, right? Like tic tac toe, right? Like there's no point in playing tic tac toe because you know what the 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 end is going to be before you uh, before you get there. Um, uh, uh, and so like. I guess if you, if the game is solvable, but it hasn't been solved yet, it still has this mind games aspect to it. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. But like, it, can you can you ever play with like enough of a handicap, you know, to make it worth like worthwhile? I mean, or like, like with, you know what I mean? Is this is this us is this us acquiescing to the water finds a crack way of playing, right? And then hypothetically, maybe the answer isn't to say, oh, well, tic-tac-toe is unsolvable, but just to kind of ignore it and have fun. Um, I think I think it's a sliding scale, right? Like, water finds a crack is, I think if water finds, like, a, a, a real crack, right? Like, not just kind of, like, like the the kind of classic example for water finds a crack, at least the one that I've always seen, is, is the Destiny Loot Cave, right? Um... And I think kind of the problem there is that the point of Destiny isn't exactly to collect cool loot. It's also to have a fun shooting game, right? And, like, the crack eliminates the fun shooting game from it, which is kind of the actual draw of the game, right? Yeah. Whereas, like, if the crack solves the whole game, then, and you know, like, and is, you know, part of the thing about shooters too is just skill aspect well let's ignore that for the sake of argument right like if the crack solves the whole game i don't know if it's compelling at that point right like i don't find tic-tac-toe entertaining um part of it is probably because it's so trivial to solve right like you, you it, it's very it's very hard to lose a game of tic-tac-toe if you know what you're doing um uh but like I know for me personally, if chess ever got solved, I would be like, well, I don't really care about playing this anymore. Um, and, you know, at that, you know, I, I guess that's just kind of the way, the, the way I am. I don't know if you'd be any, I assume you'd be different given your, your kind of postulation there. But I mean, there are definitely, I'm, I'm thinking about it in the, in the case of like, when I... So, in, in this Hearthstone single player, just to make this easy, right, like, there is one item, there's one treasure you can get called the Robes of Gaudiness, right? And the Robes of Gaudiness say all of your cards cost half mana, and but you can only play two cards per turn, right? And then once you get the Robes of Gaudiness, you're basically guaranteed to win as long as you 
you know, like as long as you pick the bucket with the biggest, fattest stuff because you're playing Ragnaros on turn three or fucking like whatever, right? Um, and once you play enough Ragnaroses on turn threes, you just win the game and that's, you know, like, and that's it. Um, and there are, and I really don't ever take Robes of Godiness partially because I just like, it's not fun, but also partially because of this, right? Like, you know, you, if you want the game to be difficult, you can't, it's like, you know, it's like challenges like speed runs or like, or like, uh, what's the Pokemon <laughs> one? Uh, uh, Nuzlocke, the Nuzlocke yeah, Nuzlocke, yeah. Nuzlocke runs. Yeah. It's that um, sort of thing, yeah. right? Like, so, you know, and it, it, it there is, I think that there is something to be said for the idea of like, you know, it's not that I'm purposefully knowing, like, it's not that I purposefully know tactics that I'm choosing not to employ because I know that they're just going to, like, win or whatever, right? Um, in a, in a, like, in a micro sense, which is kind of like the tic-tac-toe example. Like, the tic-tac-toe example, I know how to win this game, but I am making the non-optimal you know, choice. Well, I guess it actually is kind of analogous when I lay it out like that. Because I know how to win the game is to choose robes of godliness, but then I don't choose robes of godliness. I choose something else, right? And I think that that's, you know, possible. It's, it's more possible when you can, like, manipulate mechanics in the background like that. It's kind of like the difference between choosing easy and hard on, like, Total War, right? Yeah. Like, I would play Total War on easy because I know that I just would, like, stomp house. Um, I play it on hard because that's the appropriate difficulty. I play the Hearthstone single player without robes of guardiness because that's the appropriate difficulty. Yeah. I, I think, I think there's a weirdness there. That's like, you're kind of almost playing a different game, like a game with a different rule set. Um, like, I, I, I think that's the difference between like this and like solved chess, right? Like I can't imagine how you would like solve, like how you would unsolve chess or like put a restriction on chess that it's not, like that it wouldn't feel artificial, right? Like if you wanted to tell me your your solution to unsolving chess was like replace the rooks with queens and this is a different game and it's not solved yet, so you can play that. Right? Like I think I'd probably buy that. Um uh if uh but if if it's like just kind of ignore the optimal ways to play the game like solving chess would involve playing chess in an optimal way. If your answer to that is play is like actually like actually play the game in a less optimal way. I don't think that that works. Like the thing you're describing is like like yes, uh, gaudy robes might be an optimal choice for the meta game of your dungeon run, but like I think I think there's a difference in kind there. Does, well, yeah, does I, the, the different. I think the difference is essentially in one you are making a single choice. Right in the beginning of my total war game, I am choosing hard instead of easy in the beginning of my dungeon run i am choosing you know whatever fucking the battle cry totem instead of robes of gaudiness and i never have to think about it again you know because it is a non-issue once i choose not it i i don't have to think about it again when i when it's when it's tic-tac-toe or when it's chess right like i have to constantly unsolve the game in my own head it's essentially right like i have to i am yeah, it's kind what? of like it's if, kind if, of... if you if you told me, like just to extend your example, if you told me that chess was solved, but only for one opener, right? Like one opening set of moves, you can guarantee a win regardless of what your opponent does. And the response to that is, you know, no one can play that opener, so that we have an interesting game. I think that that's workable. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's the, the yeah, yeah, that is the analogy. The the other version of this is one where you choose robes of gaudiness, but every turn you look at Ragnaros and you say, "Well, it would be unfair for me to play him on turn 2. I'm going to wait till turn 8." And then you yeah. play him for two mana and you float six mana as like a personal penalty for yourself. And you do that with every single card in your deck for every single decision in the game. I think that that's unworkable and impossible because it's, it is, it's not just the one decision, I'm going to choose this over that. It is every single decision, right? Like, I am doing the less optimal thing in order to like be more fair and unsolve the game essentially and i think that that doesn't that it isn't workable and doesn't doesn't make sense yeah at least for 99% of people i'm 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 thinking yeah. that there's probably some you know there's there's people who try and solve super mario world super mario 64 with least number of button presses and that seems like a oh lot of work God. that i'm not willing to do but I love you know, that video so much. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, and, and it does make me wonder because I do think that ag- making those kinds of agreements is is very natural, right? Like in any of our, you know, in any of our competitive situations, uh, there are always agreements about what is legal and what is not, right? Like in Magic, there are banned cards and restricted cards, right? Like, it, well, in Hearthstone, things get balance change, you know, like. You you can do balance changes in things like Hearthstone or League of Legends when stuff is um, when stuff is like overpowered. So like we do have this way of kind of like compensating for that and making these kinds of decisions that say you know what robes of godliness is too good. It now does something different, right? Or you know what, whatever Cold Light Oracle is too good. It's in the Hall of Fame. Or you know time time walk is too good, so it is now banned. You know you can't have it in your deck. Um, and, and I think we make those kinds of decisions all the time, right? Like in Stellaris, I, you know, like if we were to play competitive, like, like a competitive version of Stellaris where we are, we are all really trying to like single-handedly win the game. Um, I think it would make plenty of sense to ban certain play, like certain like combinations. I'm sure that like, like I'm sure this exists. I'm sure somewhere out there, the, the Stellaris multiplayer community has kind of said, you know what? It's pretty unfair if you play like slaving despots because you can just kind of like make an incredible, you know, like, or like machine intelligence or whatever else it is, because you can just like go crazy and it's just like unfair for the rest of us. So in this multiplayer lobby, that is not a valid government type or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and there's yeah, – I think yeah. there's – I think there's like <coughs> – I think if the, the better versions of this are very like seriously considered, right? Like I think about like the fighting games community, right? Like and there are occasionally bans on characters. But like you get called a scrub real quick if, uh, if, if you're like, ah, it's wrong people is cheap, right? Like, you know, there's yeah. – there, you know uh, – what is it? There's there's a book by I forget the the, the gentleman's name, but uh, basically the art of war inter- interpreted for gamers, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's it's about basically about fighting games and it's like you know all all's fair right like you you win when you can, um, but yep. yeah um, we kind of meandered a little bit, but we're we're at our hour. Uh, yeah. Unless unless you wanted to talk about uh, 
talk about this. No, year. let's talk about our weeks. Um, we were just talking about Stellaris, uh, yeah. and we've been playing the Stellaris multiplayer game, which you know, I will cop to. I, I, I basically rage quit out of. Did you once. really rage quit? I, you know, like I, I very much understood where you are because I that happens to me in Stellar or like not even in Stellaris in most strategy games, right? Like there comes a point where I'm just kind of you know what I'm through with this run and yeah. I just walk out. Th- th- that um, is basically what happened. If you don't, if you want to say that the word rage quit is the wrong word for that. Mm. sure um but that's basically what happened is, is i kind of got burned out on the run um there's a twinge of guilt because like like part, part of this is like i enjoy the discovery aspect. so what happened for because no one for, for anybody who wasn't playing this game with us yeah. um is, <laughs> is uh i triggered the a robot <laughs> uprising um and i just kind of like was done at that point um and i was kind of like goofing around and like i like was actively trying to get something to, like, you know, I was trying to embrace that event because I thought it would be fun, but I kind of wanted to see if I could get it to resolve well. And I read about it afterwards. Apparently there is a way to, um, but I didn't know about that. I just kind of popped into that point. I was like, I don't really feel like, well, first I, I kind of impulsively chose to switch to the uprising. Um, mm-hmm. That was a mistake. Um, why why it, was that a mistake specifically? Um, Just because, like, I realized that I didn't really like want to be robots i wanted to kind of keep playing my old Chinese. guys but also i didn't want to have to fight the war i think this is part of the problem with stellar i don't actually like fighting the wars like, oh really yeah like um i think maybe i can learn to like it it's just like i much prefer the empire management part of it mm. um and uh like i never built a landing craft i never built an army and like just looking at it and, like, even if I had switched back to my, to, you know, if we had reloaded and I had switched back to, to my uh, my empire, I would have had to get my fleets, kill their fleets, build landing craft, which I had zero of, wait for all that to happen, go fly them out, go conquer the plants. Just, like, I don't really care about that. Nick's probably going to win anyway. I'm going to go, I don't know, play Final Fantasy. <laughs> um and that was kind of my this, this that was kind of my attitude at the end of last night, which you know I hope like you know maybe in in retrospect if it killed the game is a little bit of a dick move, and I apologize for that, but it like, definitely I, didn't kill the game i mean we were yeah. we were going pretty good afterwards because we like triggered uh like a whole event or whatever but and, and I figured that's how it would go right like yeah, yeah i don't I didn't think I was going to hurt anybody's fun by letting you by, by leaving the game, and so that's that's why I decided to. No, I, this is something, you mean, like, this is something I understand very, um, acutely, I guess I would say. It's the same kind of thing that, uh, uh, that happens when you tell people, like, at a party that you don't drink. They assume at this week, like, this, this instant thought process happens in their heads, right? I'm, I am at a party, and I'm drinking beer, whatever, right? There is a person at this party who isn't drinking, they must have made that decision for good reasons, and those reasons are different than the reasons that I have constructed in order to drink beer. And therefore, that person is judging me for my decision or whatever, right? And it's you the same sort of thing, right? Me? Like, yeah, like that. Well, it, yeah. seriously, it's the same yeah. sort of thing. Like, I think that what happened. Listen, friends, Zhao. When you listen to this, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but it is it's a really natural reflex. People and people experience this all the time because when somebody goes, 
uh, you know, like when Mango goes, ah, I'm not really having fun with it. I'm a little burnt on Stellaris. I'll talk to you guys later. The question becomes, well, am I burnt on Stellaris? Should I be burnt? Is this game awful? Do I, do I hate my empire? You know what I mean? Like it becomes this like personal attack and it, you know, and it's something that people get defensive about. And so they go, yeah, yeah. no, Mango, you're having fun. Just like me. Be like me. <laughs> Which is, so, this is why I understood, and I was just like, oh, it's fine, go, please. Uh, <laughs> but I think some, some of the other people in the, you know, in the game got a little, you know, it's, a, it's, it's that knee-jerkness of it. Like, this isn't, this obviously is not a very considered thing in anybody's, in anybody's head uh, about how to play, how to play Stellaris. Uh, I also do think that, like, the Empire Management can get really, like, um, can just, like, grind you down over time. Like, this is why... <coughs> This is in Stellaris, um, or in you know any of these strategy games. Like when you when you get a little bit too deep into it, and you realize, like you cross this threshold where you're just like, oh my god, I'm just pressing buttons so that I can press buttons, so that I can press buttons, so that I can press buttons. And at that point, you just have to like wipe your hands of it and kind of come back later. Do you know what I mean? Because you've kind of like shattered the illusion for yourself, and there's you know like there's not a better way to there's not a better way to handle that you can't like force yourself to like go back to the illusion see i I think i was kind of on the other side of that funnily enough right like i was in i was kind of like enjoying pressing pressing the buttons in this kind of zen like moment right but the moment a war starts it's like Oh, I'm going to have to fight a war, and I don't really like doing that, and that's going to keep me from pressing the buttons. I'm going to have to get back to pressing the buttons. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to like press the buttons as well, and it's and like maybe fighting the war does shatter my illusion because like you know, oh, I'm behind on my button pressing, and I'm never going to catch up. Right? I just want to press my buttons mm-hmm. um, in that kind of soothing way. That is um, actually interesting because I I have the opposite problems. If I'm doing too much button pressing, that's when I tune out. But the war is the thing that shocks me back into it. Because all of a sudden I'm like, oh, there's skin in the game. You know what I mean? Like I have yeah, to fight yeah, this no, war, and I'm and now my my I'm not trying to like sit here and uh, and kind of like min max my economy to make sure that you know I have enough minerals coming in to support all of these whatevers, right? Um, but you know, the, then I'm making decisions like how will you know like in what way will I conquer this person's kind of like territory or whatever, right? And this happened, and like. This, this happened where there were a couple of times in that game where I took sort of, like, roles in terms of, like, I think my fleet is is more powerful. Typically, it's, like, my fleet is, like, 6,000 military power, and their fleet is, like, 7.5,000, right? But the actual – but that's just an abstraction, right? And it is, you know, reasonable for that to kind of go one way or the other. And I intuitively know just – that my technology level is a lot higher than this guy's. And um, and that I bet I will win this fight, even though those numbers are kind of against me. I took a, you take a, like, I took, like, two battles with that. And I'm sitting there, like, narrating it to you guys over Discord. Like, oh, my God, I think I'm going to win. I think I'm going to win. Oh, God, I think I'm going to lose. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that that is the kind of thing that gets me back into the game. Um, and when I started playing single player, I played Slaving Despots which ended up being a lot of fun because you basically have to always be at war with people 
Because, <coughs> like, you know, when you play Slaving Despots, one of the things that you do is you take the Raider Ascension perk, where you can just have the orbital bombardment stance of raiding enemy planets. So you go to war with somebody, but you're not trying to conquer them. You just sit on their planets taking pops and enslaving them. Um, and that's really fun, obviously, uh, when when you are close to the the sort of like button pressing burnout. But I definitely understand, you know, like the opposite point of view when you know you just want to do the button pressing because I do think that like especially in Stellaris because so much of it is about intake output and trying to like wrap your head around some of these really abstract numbers, right? Like I need to keep my intake of minerals high so that my output of civilian good like consumer goods keeps at the appropriate number or whatever the case may be yeah so yeah so i i think this is this is why i hate starcraft is is kind of like the the bottom line here but like i think part of it for me is like i am i'm very single-minded i don't like multitasking um and like if i'm doing the war I don't want to be doing the button pressing and that like, I guess having watched enough Starcraft, it's kind of like I should be doing the button pressing while I'm doing the war. Yeah. What I yeah. really want to do is either want to focus on my button pressing or I want to go to the war and just watch the ship shoot at each other, even though I know that that's not optimal. And because I know it's not optimal, it bothers me. Um, oh, see, that's funny. Cause I don't think of that as I, when war happens, I pretty much always just like let my economy go. Um, yeah. No, and I let it and let it just, happen and um and so I, I i do this in the outliner i just click off the you know like i click i click off the the tabs that shows my buildings where it, you get a little not pop up it's like oh it's a yellow building you can build a new building in this in this i just i click that off so i don't see it because if i see the notification i'm gonna click it you know what i mean um, yeah, yeah and then i just sit there and i'm managing you know like i'm managing my like fleets and my armies and stuff like that um, and I actually think that, uh, to be honest with you, I find that this is very useful because I think building up those big fat surpluses is typically better um, than trying to kind of keep – like during peacetime, I almost always want all of my numbers to sort of be at zero, if that makes sense, right? Like I'm trying to keep my my minerals somewhere between like zero and 100 um, like per month and my energy – you know, like – well, energy, I just dump everything into because you can never have enough of it sort of thing because it's just money. But, <coughs> but like, but in wartime, you know, if I have a huge surplus of fucking minerals, that is great. That is awesome news, right? Um, so, so yeah. And, oh, and the, the other thing that I do is I'll typically queue up a bunch of kind of production, um, uh, or like construction in order to kind of like, though I like, I don't like having unemployed pops, obviously, uh, Normally, I wait until an unemployed pop shows up to build the job for it, if that makes sense. Um, but when I know I'm going to hit a war, I'm just going to go in and like build, you know, five mining districts on every planet, just so that there's never any there's there's always a surplus of jobs for people to for people to have. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that, and I, I I think also part of it for me is like I didn't really know <laughs> what I was doing at the beginning of this game, mm-hmm. and so like I was slowly like retooling things as i went and you know it's just you know i think i think the next game will be will be fun more fun um yeah but we'll see (sighs) what else have you been doing with your week uh what else have i been doing with my week uh i've been playing path of no not path of exile the other poe pillars of eternity to dead fire um because 
they came out with a turn-based mode, which turns out to be the best thing fucking ever. I played a lot of, uh, like, Tyranny. I got I got pretty deep into Tyranny, like, ten hours into Tyranny. But, like, Pillars of Eternity 1, I played four hours of. Um, and, like, I, I, I described this problem after 56 minutes of playing Pathfinder Kingmaker, which is this, like, just very weird, uncanny valley of playing a game who which is very close to tabletop games of which I am intimately aware, right? And except for the fact that these games are real-time where everybody is going simultaneously in uh, the CRPGs and they are turn-based in tabletop, right? And there's something about that Uncanny Valley that just always kills me. And so playing Pills of Eternity 2... Uh, with a with a turn based mode has just been the most beautiful thing that they could possibly have implemented for someone like me because I can finally just sit there and play it like I am you know like I am kind of running a full party of players in a, a tabletop like D and D kind of like setting. The rules are very close to being D and D, and even though they're not like they're not quite there, they're not like one hundred percent there, but they're close. Um, and have you ever so, played uh, Divinity: Original Sin? Or the yes, sequel? I have played Divinity: Original Sin. What happened to Divinity? That one's also turn-based. Yes. Uh, no, I, I think I, that's why I was asking because I think that would also be up your alley in that kind of way. I, like, I haven't played a lot of Pillars of Eternity, but I feel that like oh, Divinity: yeah, Original yeah, yeah. Sin is like kind of what I want from like an electronic version of Dungeons and Dragons, which is kind of like. Mo- like very kind of grokkable rules that are similar, but also does things that would be impractical to do for a tabletop game, and you take advantage of the computer, right? Like things like you know, w- like you know, there's water on the floor, and you do the electricity, and it automatically does the shock effect, right? Like stuff that that kind of thing, like um, allows the rules to be more complex because you can, it'll do the math for you, and you don't have to do it yourself. That that kind of thing. That's that's the thing I like about uh about uh, that's what i want out of my crpgs as it were yeah yeah the very cool thing uh in uh pillars of eternity is that like the turn-based mode when i start casting a spell it will slot the spell in as its own action in the initiative like a couple of slots down and depending on like with a kind of spell it'll it'll slot longer or shorter right like some ca- some spells will cast essentially instantaneously they'll cast right there but some spells will cast like three things down and some will cast like seven things down right and so with seven things down all of a sudden woof looks like you know you might have Right, like you might have somebody come and interrupt you, but with three things down, you might get a good roll where it's three of your people, and so you're going to cast here, move your people into position, and then it'll finish casting before the enemy has like a chance to respond. And that is definitely like the same kind of uh, the same kind of like calculus where you know only the game where which which kind of micromanages those kinds of things would be able to make that you know like to be, be able to make that work i have played i played six hours in divinity original sin what happened in divinity original sin is i broke the game because i killed like a, or i like i aggroed a whole town because i stole something by not realizing i was selling stealing something so i so i went to a quest giver and i was in the quest giver's room and it was like look at this 
the vase. You can pick it up. And I was like, oh, cool. And I pick up the vase. And then the quest giver aggros to me because I stole from them. And then I killed the quest giver in the combat. But it's like the open, you know what I mean? And I realized that like the only way to go back and not unfuck my playthrough was to go to like the very beginning autosave. And I was just like, fuck this. So I just like put it down and never picked it back up. But I, I honestly should. I remember liking Division of Divinity Original Sin when I was playing through it uh, the first time. <coughs> yeah well we should uh we should play two at some point as a group because it's got a multiplayer mode that i hear great things about uh yeah 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 because they have that D- they have that D. i don't i don't have divinity original sin 2 but i do know divinity original sin 1 right yeah well yeah but 2 2 has a like you can all play i don't i don't remember one but two you can all play members of a party and just play the regular campaign um, oh, okay. Yeah, because I remember there was like a and d mode where you have a DM. Yeah, there's who, also that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which would also be fun, but I think just playing their normal campaign would also be a blast mm-hmm. uh, with a group of people. Um, uh, well, for my part, I started playing uh, Final Fantasy XIV. Oh, now man, that, that's, a, that's a game. Yeah, that exists. Now, now that nobody I know works on it. <laughs> I no, I just uh, uh, the expansion's coming out. I just kind of like decided to play it, and I forgot how goofy this game is. Um, I played this opening like three or four times now, um, and just like, like the game's fun, but like, there's a moment at the beginning of the game where you see like a cutscene of a battlefield, and there's literally a person yelling "snake, snake!" Like that's. This this is this is cheesy and it's great and you know it's got like that homage and then like you know there's an event going on now where like uh, one of these little lolafels which are like mini people you know like like cute little people it's like I've always wanted to be the cactus mascot at the casino and but I can't I can't get the moves down and then you you you, you travel through the desert and then you find a guy. Who's like, ah, yes, I can teach you how to be the cactus at the casino. Because I was the first cactus at the casino. And I did it only for a day before I tragically fell and broke my leg. It's like so cheesy, but so fun and so cute. And, you know, I don't know. I felt like I guess I needed to roll my fingers across the keyboard and press some buttons. Solaris got me in the button pressing mood. So uh, I've been pressing buttons over in in Final Fantasy uh, 14. Fair enough. Yeah. That's very cool. Also, been watching more Brooklyn Nine Nine. Ooh, tell uh, me all about your what? What season are you on now? I'm in the middle of season three at this point. Okay. I don't watch it like super aggressively, mm-hmm. but like it's you know, it's 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 fun. It's lighthearted. I don't have to think too hard about it while watching it. Um, the jokes are good. Um, I bust a gut laughing occasionally, which is you know not a thing that happens as much anymore. So you know, it's uh, it's 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 a good show to kind of float through. Uh, you know, like not that I think the heavier episodes are bad. It's just kind of one, not not what I'm there for. I'm more there for like Charles Boyle, Boyle to be weird. Um, what are the heavy episodes? No, like not super heavy, but like you know, Rosa starts Rosa when Rosa breaks up with Captain Holt's nephew. There, like it's basically an episode about like being able to express your feel, or it's the B plot, but it's like about being able to express your feelings because like. Rosa and Holt aren't people who do that. And it's played for laughs in a lot of ways, but involves, like, you know, 
Rosa getting upset and crying. And she's like, yeah, you know, that's heartwarming, I guess. But I want to see Boyle make orgasm jokes. Um, I realized that, like, I like... The part of the reason I, I like Boyle's character so much is, like, I don't really like cringy humor. But, like, in order for that to, like... Like, I cringe with characters, but that only happens if the person's embarrassed, right? If the person isn't embarrassed, then it doesn't bother me in the same way that, like, you know, somebody being embarrassed on screen does. So, you know, him being awkward and goofy just works for me. Uh, really like yeah, the show. Yeah, I think the thing that saves uh, Boyle's... I, it's funny how much the... It's funny, like, how much the the presence of, like, a strong friendship can help me get over some of these, like, character archetypes that I would otherwise have a tough time sort of accepting. Um, because I, I, too, find it, like, I have a hard time doing cringe stuff, right? Like, even The, like, even the Office, which I think is a good show and everything, you like, those early episodes with Michael Scott, oh, dead. I, like, kill me. Those are so hard. Um... But, like, the friendship between Jake and Boyle being, like, real and legitimate is what gets me through it on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Another version of this is actually, I've been watching a lot of Futurama recently, and another version of this is just Bender and Fry, right? Like, in any other situation, I would fucking hate Bender. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's egotistical, he doesn't give a fuck about anybody else, you know, like, he's constantly, he's super arrogant, he's constantly, like, self-aggrandizing and, like, talking about himself, but, like, because of that, you know, like, him and Fry are buds or whatever, I feel like I can just, like, swallow it so much easier, do you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. I think, actually, that kind of, like, camaraderie does a lot for the show that I think is different from a lot of other shows cut from the same cloth, right? Like, there's not a lot of, like, weird sitcom problems that happen in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. They kind of get hand, like, you know, the people, like, are weird, but they behave reasonably, like, reasonably logically, right? Like, it's you rarely have the kind of, like, just talk moments. Um, just, like, those get resolved quickly and people are generally reasonable with each other and uh, outside of kind of, like, weird idiosyncrasies. And I think that makes the show a lot easier to digest, right? A lot less... A lot less cliche, I guess, is the way to put it. Um, although I am interested, like, they have done a good job so far. Um, usually for sitcoms, like, the will they, won't they with the main, you know, the, the female and the male lead just kind of, like, it goes on endlessly. Um, and they obviously get together at, like, the end of season two, beginning of season three. And it's working so far, but I, I'm interested to see how that how that works out and if they, if they keep going or not. Um... Uh, yeah, I mean, some shows time. really, like, lose their spark when that kind of thing happens. Like, you know, like, yeah. this, this is what people say about The Office when, like, Pam and Jim actually got together. That's when The Office, like, began to suck or whatever. Um, but then, you know, I, I I think it's just kind of a um, – it's a tough thing to answer because there are definitely shows where the opposite has happened, where I feel like the show really kind of, like, unlocks because it finds its right couples, right? Like, Parks and Rec gets good with Ben Wyatt and Leslie kind of solving their, you know, like solving their love triangle thing and just kind of like being together in season four, five, you know, six kind of thing. Um, same thing with like April and Andy, right? Like that's something that's resolved by season two. And so I feel like that show, you know, like they're, they're kind of like diametrically opposed. And I, I can't 
maybe if I were to sit down and really think about it hard, I obviously don't think a ton about these these shows. Um, I could maybe sort of like distill some of the best practices in like how they work or like why they come together in the way that they do. But you know, who knows? I, I think maybe part of it is that the show like. I haven't watched enough of The Office because it feels like it could fall into this. But like with, with Parks and Rec with Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the relationships aren't kind of like – the romantic relationships aren't like the entire focus of the show and the conflict, right? Like so um, if – you know, once you pair people off in a show where that is the case, there's kind of nothing left to do. Right, like a common variation I've heard of this is like the show is over when like liter- – when all the couple pairings have been tried out and they kind of settle. Um uh, but like the, you know, there's the backdrop of like with with uh, with with these shows, which are, I guess I guess Brooklyn Nine Nine is kind of in the same mold as The Office and uh, and uh, and Parks and Rec, which is like job with weird idiosyncrasies and a colorful cast of characters, and the job kind of is actually is the actual driving force, um, like you know. Even though it's not realistic, like you know, like uh, you know, like the police work is 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 generally the driving force of Brooklyn Nine Nine, um, rather than like you know, the romantic entanglements. Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, like the hijinks in, uh, in like community kind of like drive the action of the show, but there's always that like undercurrent of kind of like longer episode to episode character character stuff, you know. Like each, like each individual episode is driven by its individual hijinks, but like the character stuff stretches across multiple episodes in these bigger, wider arcs. I think that that's a, a good way to structure this stuff. To yeah, be honest, right? Like, you know, I've I've certainly seen there are definitely shows I think that do sort of like the the truer kind of like insular episode character arc things that are great um and that like you know like american dad is a show that does not have any character arc beginning to end whatsoever right um but i still think it's like a fantastic show but for a lot of these sitcoms they have kind of like all of like almost all of them i can can think of have sort of like adopted these longer running kind of character arcs that you can see from beginning to middle to end sort of thing um I don't know what I don't know what it is about the like the late aughts that gets us here, but it is the moment that we are in. Yeah, yeah, I guess. <coughs> I guess that's about right. Uh... <sighs> anyway, what uh, what else is, is 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 there anything else going on in your in your life? Oh, we didn't talk about any of the E three stuff that, right. that came out. I feel like E three just kind of. Um, we talked about a lot of this stuff last week, but uh, but the big well, thing well, I wanted to ask about her... one show sure. that was probably the best show. Yeah. Of, was it? Was it? Yeah. Was that the best show? Xbox. I think there's a good argument for Nintendo as well, but yeah, um, Nintendo. Nothing was that surprising except for Banjo Kazooie, and that's like it in a nutshell. Oh, and Breath oh, of the Wild too. Um, but like you know, not not like a lot of meat there. Just kind of a lot of cool announcements, right? Like things that you could get off of a summary. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, whereas the, uh, the Xbox one thing on, I've sorry. been seeing a ton of get memed on is the Square Enix Avengers reveal, um, which was really the only show that I was tuning in for because I knew Avengers was being announced at E3. Well, not announced. It had already been announced, but they were showing it for the first time at E3, and I hadn't seen anything. Um, what did you? What did you? What did you think of that? Um, I th- so. 
the fact that it's like they, the way they talked about it makes it sound like it's destiny and then they showed like literally a destiny walker in the the end like it's like the same type of thing as a fallen walker in the end uh tease was like eh i also think that the heroes like i don't know how you solve this problem but it looks kind of like the the, the picture i saw that i think it's like the line from, from Spaceballs, right? You've captured their stunt doubles. It feels a lot like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how you solve that. Um, part of me thinks that you can solve that, and they just kind of, like, tried to split the difference too much. They tried to make it both feel like the MCU without, like, using the likenesses, which didn't work. And I think they've said that they're going to redesign the characters. Um, at least the thing I, I saw floating through the, the atmosphere. But, like... I honestly don't think we saw enough to make any real judgments about the gameplay. Right? Like, it just... What about you? What do you think? Uh, I liked what I saw. I'm a huge... Uh, well, okay. I liked what I saw contingent on a couple of things, which I am giving, I guess I would say, Screenix the benefit of the doubt on. Um, but um, the the thing I liked about it was, it, first of all, that it, that it is kind of very story-focused. I feel like I haven't seen something kind of along these lines in a long time where, you know, the big gameplay reveal at E3 is kind of just the hook, right? Like, this is the story hook of the game. Here, the Avengers, something really bad happened, and the Avengers are broken up, and they need to get back together, and that's going to be, the like, the plot of the game or whatever. Um, but I have extremely, extremely fond memories of Marvel Ultimate Alliance and Ultimate Alliance 2. Do you remember these games from, like, the late 2000s? Oh, yes, I, I, have, I have exactly the same memories. And Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 comes out this summer for Switch. What? Yeah. What? There's a... Did you miss... Ah! Did you what? miss this? It comes out in, like... I think it comes out in, like, July. You need to buy a what? Switch. What's going on? No, this isn't real. How did nobody tell me that they were doing a third one? This I is think amazing. it was released... I think it was last, <laughs> at last E3. Wow, that's crazy. This is insane. I have never heard of this in my fucking life. How have I not heard of this? Um, anyway, I loved the Ultimate Alliance games. I thought the Ultimate Alliance That's games were some of the most fun. Uh, they, they're probably the most fun uh, comic book games that I can think of. Like, even, like, the Batman Arkham games are great and everything like that, but really, like, the it's the Marvel Ultimate Alliance games that, that take the that take the cake, I think, in terms of playing the coolest, you know, your favorite Marvel characters and all the lore and stuff like that, which is very accurate, I have to say. Like, there are so many references in there, like, fucking Fin, fan, fin Fang Foom. What the fuck? Um, that stuff is so cool, and so my hope is that it'll play uh, pretty similarly to, like, those Ultimate Alliance games. And, uh, and that seems to be kind of what we saw. Um, it's not like you're not doing the team based stuff, which kind of sucks or whatever, but you know, uh, running around in a big, in a big arcadey kind of, uh, shoot 'em up is, or beat 'em up is, is a lot of fun. And I think that that's cool. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually super excited for ultimate Alliance three. Cause uh, like, like you, I had very fond memories. I actually played with, uh, friend of the show, Zhao, and a couple other friends in high school. Um, the thing they will never let me live down is we fought through a boss, and I was the only person left living. 
um, as Deadpool with his regeneration. And I was trying to walk back to a save point, And then I walked into a, st- a spinning blade that was standing still and killed myself. And we basically stopped playing after that. Um, but, uh, you know, Man, I'm... this might be the thing that like gets me to buy a fucking switch is ultimate Alliance three. Yeah, do it. Switch. Do it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's my week. Uh, I don't know. Devolver was cool, but it's oh, yeah, always what did they, stupid. I didn't, I didn't hear anything about the Devolver conference this year. So, uh, the, uh, instead of faking a conference, they faked a direct, uh, Nina Struthers, the, uh, the CEO, uh, is in a coma and they tap into her brain and do a Nintendo direct inside of her brain, like, like stealing all the fonts and everything, right? Like it is as, 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 as crazy as it has ever been. Um, oh, this is my, so what are the characters that, like, uh, it's like, one of the characters jumps in, there's a whole bit, but like part of it is like he's like head of gray market research. And so they released on Steam um a a pack that is a bunch of bootleg versions of real devolver games. Right? Like Gun Dungeon and like, you know, Hotline Tampa or something like that, right? Mm. It's all it's like one percent off and it's like we figured out that we could monetize bootlegs of our own games. Just kind of like the 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 insane the, the insanity and parody that Devolver always delivers. I thought it was great, um, and it's Milwaukee. also followed up by like twelve hours of Eric Andre esque antics um, that are fun to jump into every once in a while. And just watch the insanity happen. So um, Devolver was a lot of fun. Uh, Bethesda was terrible, save for uh, save for like the Japanese woman that everybody has decided is is is, is their waifu now. Oh yeah, I've uh, heard about this woman uh, because I saw my Twitter memeing about it. Yeah, uh, she is precious. She cannot be hurt. I I personally uh, enjoy it because that company is Tango GameWorks, um, which you know for obvious reasons. Uh, maybe not to people at home. My, the, Tango is also my last name, so I, I always have a fondness for t- for Tango GameWorks. Um, the game looks cool too. Um, so, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. There wasn't a lot of details there, but, uh, um, kind of the worst thing I think came out of that conference was Commander Keen is coming back as a mobile game targeted at children with loot boxes. And a thing that made everybody go, what are you doing, Todd? Stop, please. Um, uh, but you know, whatever, um. Oh, what other conferences were there did I watch? Uh, Ubisoft happened. The big thing of that was like Watch Dogs Three, where you were a grandma. Yeah, I like, mean the Watch Dogs Three, your grandma thing is that is. I'm interested in it. I guess I should say, uh, I'm very interested in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't have anything else to say. I'm just interested. Um, but so, I, is that all? Is that is that it? Is that what we're is that what we're thinking about? I think that's everything that. Uh, unless you wanted to talk more about Keanu, I think that's it. No, no. Even though Keanu is the best boy of all time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, if that's it, uh, you can reach us at uh, some at gmail dot com or podcast at some or 
newly. I think podcast.someDerps.play or someDerpsPlay.games should work as well. Registered the .games domain for us, which is neat. We've got a Patreon. We've got a Twitter. We've got a Twitch. We've got all these great things. You could leave us a review on iTunes. We love all of it. Uh, links are in the description. Uh, that's everything I had. But if you have anything else you want to promote. I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.